I invite you to please rise for the call to worship. The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness, and your love. How kind and wonderful you are to your children. Father, we pray that you'd grow us in your truth, that we would give you all praise, glory, and honor, that the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be high and lifted up, and that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we would give you all praise. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to sing with me number 338, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross.
may be seated. For our time of prayer of confession and pronouncement of pardon, I will be reading from Isaiah 52. I'll first be reading verses 7 and 8, leading us in a prayer of confession and then pronouncing pardon and reading verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 52, starting at verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for I to see, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, how wonderful, how gracious, how good you are. Oh, Father, we thank you for the good news, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. Oh, Father, again, we are amazed to contemplate what it means that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for those who would be brought to repentance and faith, those who would be made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of your word. Oh, Father, again, we want to take this time to humble ourselves before you. And to confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. Father, we confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds. Isaiah 52, verse 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has barred his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Know this. That if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he alone is your righteousness, your holiness, your justification before God. 
If you have been made alive to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, know this, you have been forgiven. You have been pardoned. All condemnation has been removed from you. You have been adopted and loved by your heavenly Father. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For our time of confession of faith, I have you look at your bulletin. You'll find there Article 17, God's use of means and regeneration. We've been walking through the canons of Dort for our time of uh, congregational confession. So I invite you to read along with me Article 17, God's use of means in regeneration. Just as the almighty work of God by which he brings forth and sustains our natural life does not rule out but requires the use of means by which God, according to his infinite wisdom and goodness, has wished to exercise his power, so also the aforementioned supernatural work of God by which he regenerates us in no way rules out or cancels the use of the gospel, which God in his great wisdom has appointed to be the seed of regeneration and the food of the soul. For this reason, the apostles and the teachers who followed them taught the people in a godly manner about this grace of God to give him the glory and to humble all pride, and yet did not neglect, meanwhile, to keep the people by means of the holy admonitions of the gospel under the administration of the word, the sacraments, and discipline. So even today, it is out of the question that the teachers of those taught in the church should presume to test God by separating what he in his good pleasure has wished to be closely joined together. For grace is bestowed upon admonitions, and the more readily we perform our duty, the more lustrous the benefit of God working in us usually is, and the better his work advances. To him alone, both for the means and for their saving fruit and effectiveness, all glory is owed forever. Amen. This is a very important article of the Kanzador. It's reminding us that God has chosen through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to make atonement for those who would have faith and belief in him. That he brings about salvation through the proclamation of the one true gospel of Jesus Christ crucified through the power of the Holy Spirit, giving people eyes to see, ears to hear minds to understand and hearts to believe the truth of Jesus Christ crucified for their sins. But it's also talking about the ongoing sanctification. We have been called and created to serve God and give him glory in all things. And these are all part of the means of God's justifying, sanctifying his people as we long for glorification 
at the return of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Oh, Father, again, we're amazed at your creation, for you have made everything that has been made for your glory, for your praise, for your honor, that your name would be high and lifted up. Father, we thank you that you are the great redeemer, the savior. Oh, Father, we thank you for the most gracious, wonderful gift of salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, again, we are amazed at such love that while we are yet sinners, that Christ would die for those who would be called and drawn to the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, that the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, interceding, and returning again, that the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be ever in our thoughts, in our words, our actions, the source of all our peace, all our hope, all our comfort, all our strength. Oh, Father, we pray that as you have graciously justified us and as you continue to sanctify us, Father, we pray that you'd continue to strip away the idols, the deceptions, the, the, the things of, of rebellion, of this world, from the devil, of our old fallen flesh, that that we continue to wage war with daily. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, within our marriages, within our families, within our, our work or school, our communities, our relations. Father, we pray that you would grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to live more and more according to the Holy Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, you are so good. We are weak, but you are strong. Father, we do pray for, for our church. We pray that you would strengthen and guide us that you would help us to strive side by side for the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would be of one heart and one mind, loving you and loving one another, caring for one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, encouraging, building up each other for your glory as the body of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray for all the marriages represented here. Father, we pray that you would strengthen and guide these marriages, that they would display Ephesians 5, Christ in the church. Father, we pray for all the families. Oh, Father, we pray for, for the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Oh, Lord, that they would know you and love you. That we would point them to the truth of your word 
that you would do what only you can do through the power of the Spirit. Give them the gifts of repentance and faith to know you and love you. So, Father, we, we pray for all the children. Father, we lift up to you those who are in a time of, of struggle or need. Oh, Father, I, we do pray for the many affected by these recent floods in Kentucky. Father, I pray for some of my own relatives who have been affected. Father, I pray that you would comfort those who are grieving and that eyes would be directed to your son, Jesus Christ, through this time. Father, I pray for my Uncle Tom as he recovers from, from his hip surgery and other complications. Oh, Father, in the midst of this time of, of healing, oh, Lord, that his eyes would be open to see your son, Jesus Christ, and the truth of the gospel as his only comfort, hope, and strength. So, Father, Father, I pray for that. Father, we do continue to pray for Ruth's mother in the midst of her cancer treatments. Father, we pray for healing, strength, and comfort. Father, we continue to pray for Wendy Lou's sister-in-law as she continues in her cancer treatments. Oh, Father, that she and her husband, the daughters, that they would know you, that they would love you, that you would be their comfort and strength in this time. Father, we do continue to pray for Marcia. Father, we pray that that you would just continue to hold her in your right hand. Continue to strengthen and guide her in this time. Father, we thank you. You are so good and gracious to us. And it is because of your love we say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite you to please rise and read with me the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, as we're going through our series in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. So I invite you to read along with me in the bulletin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 7. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is living and active. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Oh, Father, your word is all authoritative, all sufficient, inerrant and infallible. We are absolutely dependent on wisdom and discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would grow us in the truth. For it is only in the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, are we set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to, to come up here for our children's message. passage of scripture, the Apostle Paul praises God. And he praises God because the people in this church, they had turned from idols to serve the one true living God. And does anyone here know what an idol is? What is an idol? Exactly, that's exactly right. That's great. An idol is something that someone worships other than the one true God. So there are religions and there are people that worship statues or things of wood or things of metal or trees or different things. There's all kinds of idols. All kinds of idols. An idol is anything that you put your you find your peace in, your, your hope in, your, your life in, other than the one true God. So what the Apostle Paul, is, he's just praising God that they have turned away from these false things to serve the living and true God. So that's my prayer for, for each one of you. Because as you grow older and older, you'll become more aware of the idols that are all around us. So my hope and prayer is that, that we would believe and trust that Jesus Christ is the one true Savior. There is one God. And that is where our love and our hope can be found. So let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust and believe that he is God. And he is Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You guys can back to your seats. Well, we find ourselves continuing to work through 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're looking at verses 7 through 10. 
Again, the Apostle Paul is praising God. He's lifting up the church in Thessalonica as an example, as a good example of a true and faithful church by God's power because they are holding to the word of God faithfully, not only in doctrine, but in how they live. So that's what we're looking at in this passage. There are four key words we're going to look at. These are the four key words in verses 7 through 10. The first key word, verse 8, is word. The word of the Lord. The scripture. So that's going to be the first key word the Apostle Paul lifts up. The second key word is toward the end of verse 8. It is faith. Faith, the faith of the people in the word of the Lord. The third key word is wait. That's verse 10. Wait. And then the fourth key word is wrath. Wrath. So if you have those four words, those are the key words that are framing the specific Doctrine, the truth that the Apostle Paul is lifting up in this passage. So as we walk through this passage, so let's go back to verse 7. Let's walk through this. So verse 7 is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So these are these surrounding regions. Thessalonica is a key city there. And, and this influence, this example is spreading the entire region. And what is the cause of this example, this good example? It's two things. Verse 8, it's the word of the Lord and their faith. So number one, verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. So that's the significance of these first two words. The word of God and faith are sounding forth and going forth. They are on display. They are being proclaimed. They are being lived out and visibly manifested and seen. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you throughout the entire surrounding region, surrounding Thessalonica, but your faith in the Lord has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The key reality here is this is how the Apostle Paul is saying this is true living faith. This is true faith. Because this faith holds to the word of the Lord and this faith continues unwaveringly in the midst of persecution, affliction, and opposition. That's going to be the key points of what he's saying here. Well, the reason why the Apostle Paul speaks of this going forth, the word of the Lord going forth, their faith going forth, he's, he's bringing us back to the prophecy in Isaiah. Isaiah, this is a very important prophecy that he's pointing to as being fulfilled here where you have the word of the Lord and faith going forth. The first one is Isaiah 2. I'd like to go to Isaiah 2, starting at verse 2. This is this glorious reality that 
the Redeemer, the Son of God, Jesus Christ will come, that he will die on the cross for the elect, for all those whom God will call and draw to salvation in the Son, Jesus Christ, through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christ will come, he will die on the cross to pay the penalty of sins, to pay the debt in full, and to satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of the elect. So Isaiah 2, verse 2, and when this happens, the church will be established where there is no longer Jew, Gentile, free slave, barbarian, Scythian, Greek. You have one church, one family. And this is the reality of this. Isaiah 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Remember in the New Testament, the church is described as the household of God. It is the temple of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is the church. And that's all the depictions of here. These depictions are speaking of using the imagery of the temple on the mount. And now it is the church, the household of God, the temple indwelt by the Holy Spirit that is lifted up that the gospel goes forth from. Again, Isaiah 2, 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nation shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his way and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth. This is the reality. This is how Isaiah always speaks of it. This going forth. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And here we see the church in Thessalonica is a part of that continued fulfillment of that. As the gospel goes forth to all the nations, you see not only Jews, but Gentiles coming to salvation. And the word continues to go forth. Another beautiful depiction of this is Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 is right before Isaiah 53, the great Prophecy concerning Jesus Christ crucified, depicting that in detail. Well, Isaiah 52 is establishing what takes place because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And this is what took place in Thessalonica. Through the proclamation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ is lifted up and God the Father brings about the adoption of his children through the gospel. And as this church continues to grow, the word continues to sound forth, continues to go forth. 
Because that's the call of each and every believer. And that's what the Apostle Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Every believer is a minister of reconciliation. So what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 5 is, if you've been reconciled with God through the gift of true repentance and faith, then you are now a part of God's ministry of reconciliation. So you present, you publish, and that's what we see Isaiah 52 speaking of. And what do you publish? Good news. That while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, God made a way to go from his wrath and condemnation to justification and eternal life. And it's through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You publish it. That's good news. It doesn't matter how, how bad of a sinner you have been or where you come from or what your background or who you are. None of that matters. God shows no partiality. If you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. True repentance and true faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans 10. Remember, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word, the gospel being proclaimed. So that's what's happening in the church in Thessalonica. The word of the Lord is being sounded forth. They are, the members of that church are sharing the gospel with their neighbors, with their co-workers, with the people in the marketplace. They're going forth and they are publishing the good news of Jesus Christ crucified. Again, Isaiah 55, 7, bring good news who publish peace. The source of true peace is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only source of peace. Who bring good news of happiness? Happiness. That's very vital because one of the most dominant religions in the United States of America is the religion of happiness. The religion of hedonism. The religion of serving your flesh. Oh, what a dominant religion that is. It's got many a church. So what do we publish? True happiness. What's the source of true happiness? That though I deserve eternal condemnation and wrath and hell, that Christ has died for my sins and made me right with God so I could live for him forever. That's happiness. That's the source of all happiness. So we publish happiness, true happiness, true joy. And again, who publishes salvation? Again, bring us back to the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. Ultimately, what is the publishing and sounding forth of the gospel? That God reigns. The one true God. And that's so vitally important. Because what does the world, the fallen world around us, what does the devil, the demonic, what does the fallen flesh all lift up? that God does not reign, that there will be no judgment, 
that there will be no consequences. That you can live how you want to live. You can be who you want to be. That you are your own God and there will be no repercussions for that. That's the lies and deceptions of the rule of the devil that the flesh yearns for in its rebellion against God. But we sound forth the only source of true happiness, the only source of salvation, the only source of peace, and it's Jesus Christ crucified. That's the church. That's what the church is to do. We are the pillar and buttress of the truth. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the household of the living God. We're the fulfillment of these prophecies, and we are to sound forth the gospel. Yes, that's the only hope for everyone. So again, verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, so they are faithfully publishing the gospel through their words, through their actions, their conduct in the community. They are proclaiming verbally the gospel to those around them. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So if the first key word is word, the second one is faith, they are seen as having true faith. Faith is being manifested through their works, through their actions, through their conduct. That it isn't just that they're saying that Christ is Lord, they're living like it. That's what the Apostle Paul is praising God for. There's this one thing to say, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian or I believe in Christ. Or it's one thing to say that and live like an atheist where you live how you want to live. Well, you still say you believe, but you, you live as though Christ isn't Lord and Savior. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is what went forth is true proclamation of the word in the gospel, and they actually live like they believe it. That's what he's saying here. And that's the call to each and every one of us. There's a beautiful passage in 2 Thessalonians. If you go to this, this is how he starts 2 Thessalonians. He's, he's going to come back to this key reality. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. So, so Lord willing, as we continue on in 1 Thessalonians and come to 2, we're going to see he's going to come back to this most vital, important reality. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you. So here is, again, Paul, he's praising God for the church in Thessalonica. Brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. There it is. That true living faith continues to grow. Even in the midst of the persecution, even in the midst of the affliction, even in the midst of their hardships. As we continue on in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see that they experienced tremendous persecution. The world hated them. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. 
There's that key evidence. What's the most miraculous, astounding, amazing reality that people are truly Christian? That they actually love one another. Actually, not just say it, but they actually love one another. That they actually would forgive one another. That they actually look to the interests of the other as greater than their own. That they actually would die for one another. To care for one another as Christ cares for his church. That's, you want the most amazing, Holy Spirit, sensational reality? It's that they actually love one another. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, that, that their love for one another, speaking in the church here, this is speaking of brother and sister in Christ, that their love is actually growing more and more. And that's a miraculous thing. Because the more you know someone, you know, the more you know their struggles and weaknesses and pains and difficulties. So what does the flesh do? Our fallen flesh says, well, <laughs> I, I don't want to waste my time, my resources, my life on that. But what does the spirit do? That's my brother and sister in Christ. That's a part of the body of Christ. I am united with that person. They are closer to me than anyone or anything else. And Lord, if you will, I would give my life that that person would grow in the love and truth of Christ. That's true love from true faith in a true Christian. And that's what the Apostle Paul is lifting up here. Again, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, We ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. It just keeps growing. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Why is this so amazing? Verse 4, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. Just think of what Paul does here. He's saying this. When, they're, when Paul and Silas and Timothy are in these other churches, they are, that church in Thessalonica. Oh, the faith they have. Oh, the, how they love one another. Oh, they preach the gospel. That's what Paul's saying he does. He's just, he just praises God for him. And he takes it on the road. He's just, it's, he's just so thankful to God. So that's verse four. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your, again, steadfastness and faith. There it is, that steadfastness. No matter what the persecution, the hatred, the opposition, Christ is my Savior. God's word is my authority. The church is my household, my family. I have died with Christ. My life is Christ. Steadfastness. 
no matter what. Steadfastness. That's faith. That's true faith. For your steadfastness of faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Loss of job, loss of home, loss of family members, for the Jews thrown out of the synagogue, for the Gentiles being ridiculed and thrown out of their families, for governmental persecution, for imprisonment, and death was taking place in Macedonia in that region by Christians. That's the persecution we're talking about. That's the afflictions that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. Yet regardless of that, steadfastness and faith. Because Christ is their life. That's the faith. That's the, what it is that they are sounding forth the word of God and their faith is going forth. So if that's verse 8, the word of the Lord and true faith, then we find in verse 9, where the Apostle Paul is giving evidence of how God saved them. This is verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols. There it is. To serve the living and the true God. So that's it. That's what salvation is being depicted of in verse 9, that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2. They, they were in bondage to the ways of this world, to the deception of the devil. And in their fallen flesh, they would rather worship creatures than the creator. That's the reality of all that are lost. Again, Romans 1 is the greatest depiction of this. If you go to Romans 1, you, you see the reality of this. And this is going to help us with verse 10. So Romans 1, verse 18, speaking of this, the wrath of God, because that's how the Apostle Paul ends this section. Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God. Wrath of God, yes. God is a holy, just, loving, merciful, jealous God. And in his holiness and in his love, he hates evil. He has wrath towards sin. So this is Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's it. All that the world, all that the devil publishes is lies. Lies, 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 deception and lies. That's all it can publish. And the sad reality of our fallen flesh, the condition of our total depravity is all we want to buy is lies. Unless God makes us alive. 
unless the Holy Spirit gives us ears to hear and eyes to see through the proclamation of the gospel that then we come out of lies to truth, out of darkness to light. Suppression of the truth. That's, that's what we're all in bondage to apart from the grace and mercy of God. 21, Romans 1, 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And ultimately, you go down to verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the same lies as the first lie. What was the first lie? Remember when the the devil comes to Eve and says, first he brings into question God's goodness. Did God really say? And then he tries to spin God as wanting to hold back what is good. And then ultimately, what does he say to Eve? You will not die. You surely will not die. You won't die. You can rebel against God. You can turn away from him. You can do what you won't die. You won't face the wrath and consequences and judgment. That's the lie. That's the first lie. And it's the same lie. And it continues to this day. That's what the world, that's what the devil keeps publishing. It keeps putting forth that lie. But the Apostle Paul makes clear in the word here, inspired by the Spirit, that no, there is a judgment and there is wrath. And there is only one way to escape, to come out of the just condemnation, wrath of God, into his love and adoption and care. And what is that way? The truth. The truth of the gospel. The truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of our unrighteousness. And the truth that the only righteousness that makes us right with God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why it's faith alone. Christ alone. Grace alone. Because we have no righteousness of our own. So this is this beautiful reality. Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That was what Paul was commissioned with. If you go to Acts 26, you see where Paul is sharing how he was commissioned and sent forth. And that was what he was sent to do. Acts 26, starting at verse 17, you have where Christ appoints him, commissions him, sends him. And this is what he was Verse 17 of Acts 26. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And the church in Thessalonica is predominantly a Gentile church at this time. Verse 18. To open their eyes. That's it. So that they may turn from darkness That's all the idolatry and immorality and rebellion against God to turn from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There it is again. Faith alone. Faith alone in Christ alone by God's grace alone. And this is what the Apostle Paul is praising God for, that they turn to God from idols. This is all the sovereign work of God, giving eyes to see, ears to hear through the proclamation of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what took place in the church in Thessalonica. And this is what takes place in every believer, every Christian. This is the reality of our conversion, redemption, and salvation. So they've turned from idols to the living and true God. And not only is that our justification, that is the continued work throughout our sanctification process. Because we will continue to have to wage war daily against our idols. Our idols. Each and every one of us. Continue to have these idols and these areas that we cry out, Oh Lord, help me. Pull this idol from my grip. And some of us, graciously held by God's hand, will continue to hold on to some of these idols to our last breath. But the good and gracious thing, it isn't that we're saved because we reach perfection on this heaven and earth. It's, it's impossible. How you're saved is because God holds you in his righteous right hand. And that Christ has made you righteous and he has made you holy. So the reason we strive for holiness is to please God out of gratitude and thanksgiving. Not to try to earn some righteousness of our own. So what replaces the idols? Jesus Christ. And that's verse 10. So here's our last two key words. Weight and wrath. Weight and wrath. So verse 10. So they've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So verse 10, what does that mean? And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Here in these scriptures, one of the chief ways the Apostle Paul puts on display, makes evident that they turn from idols to God to serve the living and true God is now they are people who wait. Isn't that interesting? This waiting is not inactive. Let me emphasize this. This is a striving, putting to death daily, praying, crying out, sending forth the gospel, exertion. Out of gratitude and things. But you're waiting. So why does he use the word wait? Because think what an idol does. Any idol falsely, it's, it's a lie, it's a demonic deception and lie. Any idol promises you 
your best life now. True peace, true happiness, true things now, now. You can have it. You can have it on this earth. You can have it now. Waiting means we're longing for something that will not happen until Christ comes back. So yes, we are justified. Yes, we are being sanctified. We have been adopted. We're loved by our heavenly father, but we are still in these bodies where we still sin. We are still in this fallen heaven and earth. So we are longing. We are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, for the return of Jesus Christ, for the new heaven and new earth. And that's where our focus is. To wait on Christ means your focus is on Christ. That's what that means. Not on this earth. The greatest passage that helps us understand what waiting, what waiting is for the Apostle Paul as he talks about them waiting for his son from heaven. They're, this is this waiting for the return of Jesus Christ from heaven. That's where Jesus is now. He is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of those who belong to him. Those in whom his spirit dwells, those who are saved. So Christ is interceding. So we are waiting, we are longing for him to return. So what does waiting look like? What does waiting look like? Well, it doesn't look like a spiritual lazy boy. Or a big comfy couch. Spiritually. I have nothing wrong with relaxing. But, but spiritually, this is what waiting looks like. It's Colossians chapter 3. Here's your best passage. You want to know what waiting on the Lord looks like? It's this passage. Colossians 3. And what I love about this, it defines waiting as seeking, setting, and putting to death. So it's a very active waiting. You're waiting for Christ, but while you're waiting, you, you're doing a lot of dying to yourself and striving for Christ. So it's Colossians 3. This is what waiting for the Lord to come back looks like. Colossians 3, verse 1. This is such high important stuff. The Apostle Paul begins it with a conditional statement. That's what I love about Paul. He doesn't want anyone to have any false assurance or false comfort. So Colossians 3.1, if then, here's his if and then statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. The reason he begins that with that is, if you haven't truly been raised with Christ, if you don't have true faith, if you haven't been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do this. It will be impossible for you. You can try to mimic it, and you can fool a lot of people for a long time. But ultimately, you can't do this apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. So that's why it begins with that if. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek. Here's your first active. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is what waiting for Christ from heaven 
is. This is defining it for us. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So why are we waiting? Because our life is in Christ. We no longer have any life apart from Christ. The things of this fallen world give us no life. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's what we're waiting for. And you wait eagerly. It's like, I'm waiting. I can't wait. But but you're waiting. But I can't wait. That's that waiting eagerly. You're longing. You're hoping. So verse 5, we're seeking. We're setting our minds. Verse 5, put to death. Oh, man. You ever wonder what you're going to do while you're waiting for Christ to return? Well, (laughs) verse 5 will take up all your waking hours, let me tell you. So, this, so if you ever wonder what to do this afternoon, well, do verse five. So here it is, verse five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There it is. See, Paul knows that each and every one of us, we've turned to God from idols, but but what will we have to wage war against our whole lives? Idols. Our old flesh, those old desires for the idols of this world. That's that's an ongoing battle. Till your last breath. Till you die. That's why, again, the Heidelberg Catechism has that beautiful question. How are you benefited as a believer in your death? What a beautiful answer. Is as soon as you die, you stop sinning. Hallelujah. And you go to be with your faithful Lord and Savior. That's the end of sin. But until then, we're this, this waiting while we strive and seek out of thanksgiving and gratitude. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And that's our last word at the end of verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The Apostle Paul is reminding them of the reality of judgment, the reality of when Christ returns and and you have the new heaven, new earth, and and everyone stands before the judgment seat. And there is option A and option B. Option A is the lake of fire, is hell, is eternal conscious torment. It's option A. For all those who do not have faith, who do not believe, who who never trusted, who who held to the lie. But there's option B. For those whom Christ has died for, those whom the Holy Spirit has given the gifts of repentance and faith, those who, who have true faith, who believe, who repent, who trust 
have eternal life with God, partaking in His glory forever. No more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. That's what Jesus has delivered us from. That's why I can't handle it. So many false gospels out there. So much nonsense. So many gospels. Here's one of the most dominant false gospels presented in the United States of America. If you add Jesus to your life, he will make your life better. Just add him to your life. And you'll have a better life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is without Christ, you are dead, condemned, and going to hell. With Christ, you have forgiveness, the love of God, eternal life, joy, peace. That's the gospel. So when the Apostle Paul reminds us, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to God, oh, see how that, oh, Wouldn't you praise God? Won't you worship God? Won't you sing his glory and praise that you have been saved from the wrath of God by the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf in the power of the Holy Spirit? So that's what we wait for. We wait for Jesus because at his return, we get to partake in his glory because of his grace. Those who are still worshiping idols, who are unbelievers, they're not waiting for Christ. Because remember what happens when Christ comes back? For those who have been waiting and longing, who belong to him, it's their greatest joy and happiness. For the unsaved, when Christ comes back, it is the most horrific horror. Is at that time, it's, it's over. No more lies, no more deception. The king has come and his judgment waits. So to wait for Jesus is to know that your life is in him and you have no life apart from him. And once we know that and grow in that, our love for Christ abounds, our love for one another, and we can't help but publish the good news of salvation. Because that's good news. That's our very life. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. How amazing is the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, again, we're amazed at the reality that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd grow us, guard us, and guide us in the faith. Father, I pray that that if there be anyone here who who is not saved, oh, Lord, that you would do your, your sovereign work according to your plan, that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe, minds to understand. Father, we pray that you would help us to sound forth your gospel. That our faith would go forth. 
that we would wait for your son, knowing that we have been saved from your wrath. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Well, I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 463. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus.
Let's receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the Gloria Patria.